Hey, welcome to another episode of the 31K for 31 Days podcast. Today I speak to Dean Arrowsmith, originally from Cotill in County Cavan, and you could also say from Dundalk in County Loud. Dean is currently living out in Chicago. I've known Dean for quite a long time now. Uh, Dean has always been a mad soccer fan and uh, always involved in soccer coaching as well and that's what led him to Chicago. So Dean is working with uh, a soccer academy over in Chicago and he's doing some soccer coaching and management there. So I catch up with Dean and talk all about uh, the early days living in Cavan uh, then moving on to Dundalk. We also speak about uh, some of his antics in 2012, you'll listen to that now shortly. And then we talk about moving to Chicago, where he is now, where he's got a love for running, he's recently got married, and do you know what, I think we'll just wait and let Dean tell us all about it. So enjoy this one, it should be a good one. Okay guys, so today I'm joined by Dean Arrowsmith. Uh, Dean may be known uh, more widely as Pingu. Uh, Dean, thanks for coming on today. Thanks a million, Brian. Glad to be on. Yeah, it's been a while. It's been a while since we had a it good has. chat. It's a long been. time since we were working together in the Crystal and uh, I was driving Dad's van and you were driving the, um, the way Toyota Yaris. The way Yaris, yeah. Missed those days. Oh God, yeah. Good crack. <laughs> it was. not care in the world back then, like. No, no. Um, so, all right, we'll make a start. Uh, when did you actually first become known as Pingu and why? Um, so my brother used to call me a penguin because I, as you can probably tell, if if anybody's going to be watching this, I've got a, a big nose. So my brother called me a penguin when I was younger, and it used to upset me. And then um, my dad took over a shop in Coothill down in Calvin, and the butcher started calling me penguin when I was in first year in school. And then it just ever since then it's it's stuck. Not not as much in America now, but. Uh, but definitely back home, I think I'm going to be forever known as Pingu. Good stuff. Uh, right. Yeah, so it's good to know the the origin of it, I guess. <laughs> um, it's just so funny when you're talking about being first year. I did a year's teaching in St. Michael's there in Cotill. Remember I sent you the photo? Uh, yes. I found photos of yourself and Keelan just along the wall there. <laughs> the good uh, old days. Oh, the good old days, indeed. <laughs> um, okay, so home is Cotill, but uh, your heart is definitely in Dundalk. Is it fair to say that? Uh, I think that that would be fair to say. Yeah, well, I was actually, I, I was born in Dundalk um, yeah. and I, I lived there for the first couple of years and, and then we moved down when I was young to Cathill where I grew up. But I think um, just going back, like I'd be very close with my grandparents and that. And when I was very young, I think every weekend we all, we went up to see them and stuff like that. And yeah. Um, when I left school, I went back to college in Dundalk and lived there for, I think, six, seven years almost on and yeah. off. Um after college and things like that and I yeah I just absolutely love it up there yeah like I only made it up to Dundalk once to see yourself Lonan and whoever else was there and uh, it was a good social scene anyway you know it's a good town and even like uh, I had a friend from college who's from Pierce Park and uh, we've been up to him several times and it's a good town it's a good town it is it is they've got a lot you know they've got as you say a good social um, scene but they've got a lot of sports with the with the football club obviously and then they've got you know the racetrack and things yes. but being being completely honest with you if I had a choice to move anywhere tomorrow I'd probably be out to Carlingford that's that's my favourite place yeah it's I lovely, absolutely it? love Carlingford yeah, yeah. great spot um, I, yeah look we used to go visiting there when I was a kid used to go to Omid and then down into Carlingford and maybe across the water to Warren Point and stuff mm-hmm. so that was always a good day out and kind of did that nearly most summers you know with the parents and that and family 
and uh, yeah, Carningford's a lovely little village there. Uh, more recently, would have been there for my brother-in-law's stag. Well, when I say more recently, it's actually eight years ago. But um, yeah, that's uh, Carningford is a good little village there. The Adventure Centre there is great crack. It's, yeah, it's good. I, I think I went there when I was younger. But myself and, and Emily, we like any. We've been home a couple of times now. But every trip we go home, we spend we spend at least one night up there. I just, as I say, I I just love it. Speaking of Carlingford too, and kind of getting at the running angle here, and um, both myself and yourself like to do a wee bit of running. Uh, Carlingford run a half marathon. It looks tough now. Be I'd say it's one of the hillier ones now in the country. I think so. Yeah, actually, whenever we went home on our honeymoon um, in July, August last year, we done a five k in Carlingford. It, it was pretty flat. It was nice. It was the first ever race. I've been running for what three years now, and the first ever race I done in Ireland was was the Carlingford five k. Yeah, we'll get back to that in a little while. But um, yeah. first, tell me what what was life like growing up in uh, the mean streets of Cotill? Um, pre- pretty ordinary, to be honest. It was uh, it was good. You know, I I was involved in um, in uh, Gaelic football with Cotill Celtic, mm-hmm. and then where I grew up, just a little bit outside the town, was right next to to um, Clara Lane, where Cotill Harps obviously play play football. Yeah. So I, I grew up on the football pitch. You know. Um, I would have grew up on with my dad was coaching the the senior team there, so I grew up on the sidelines. So it's kind of no no surprise that I followed uh, followed in his Follow footsteps, in footsteps and, of course, and got into coaching. But yeah, it was it, it was a fun town. I, I I had a good group of friends that thankfully I'm still friends with the majority of them today. You know, yeah. so it, it was good. Okay, uh, speaking of sports and soccer in particular, um, you're a big Dundalk fan. We know that. Uh, can you remember your first Dundalk game? So I think when I was very young, I went to a couple of games, but the one that kind of sticks out in the memory was um, in 2002, we went to the FAI Cup final. So Dundalk had just been relegated a week or two before that, um, made it to the final. And we won, we beat Bohemians 2-1. That was the first game I think that myself, my dad and my two brothers actually went to to a match together. Um, was that in Old Lansdowne Road or was that? No, in, that was in, in Talca Park, so Talca. up up in Drumcondry, yeah. yeah. Um, but th- I just remember that game, and, and that's kind of what made me fall in love with the club. Was just I I didn't realize that you had passionate fans like that on your doorstep. You know, I would have grew up. Mm. Th- I think that was two years after Man United won the treble, and I would have grew up watching those games in the pubs and and stuff like that. And you think that's that's the only football there is, but that's the epitome kinda, of it, yeah, yeah, yeah. But obviously, then when we got to that Dundalk game, you, you realize that there's a lot more, um, there's a lot more right on your doorstep. And, and yeah. ever since then, I've just been a massive advocate for, for League of Ireland football, yeah. Like when you, when you think of it, like in terms of Cavan, obviously, Cavan doesn't have any League of Ireland club, um, a lot of clubs in and around Cavan Town, and then mm-hmm. you have Cotill and Bailborough, um, but yeah, Dundalk is probably the closest big club, I guess. Dundalk or yeah, Longford, maybe you, you would have Dundalk and Longford, and obviously you, you used to have Monaghan United as well. Mm. Um, and in saying that, you know, Cav- Cavan's a good uh, a good county for for soccer players. I think Killian Sheridan's leading the way still, playing out in Poland. Poland, yeah. Um, Kean Bourne, who I coached, uh, he's the captain of Cavan Town right now. But he he actually made his debut at Dundalk while I was while I was working for them and stuff like that. You know, so we, we, there's some good players coming through the ranks as well. I, I talked to my dad, who's who's still heavily involved. With you you football back home and I think there's maybe three or four four lads from Cavan that are playing underage with, with Dundalk which is quite quite competitive and tough yeah. tough to do you know would be that's good um, speaking of Killing Sheridan um, he's he's got quite the profile on social media he's got uh, yeah. he's quite funny 
very funny. He is. Um, yeah. Um, no. So you went to con- you went to college in Dundalk. Uh, what course did you do there? Was it sports and rec or something? Like uh, that? Community community sports leadership. It was called. Yes. So uh, unfortunately, I did I didn't finish the course. I, I had the opportunity to go to America in '09 the first time. I am, um, and I kind of took that. The, the college life, to be honest, wasn't really really for me you know no I I was very good at the practical side of things and and just the um the theory side just didn't didn't agree with me at the time but um I'm hoping to go studying again next year so it's kind of um coming full circle you know brilliant and uh so that was Dundalk and then uh, was it that that led you into beginning work with uh, Dundalk was it through the course or was it totally separate to that yeah, uh, it was a little bit separate. So since since I was sixteen, I was working on the FEI summer camps, and yes. kind of um, we had a group, good group of coaches that would cover pretty much all of the northeast. Um, and we done a camp in in Oriel Park, and Paul Johnson, who was the club promotions officer at the time, I, I just got to know. And I think when I went back to college that September, I actually just called up to Paul's office one day and asked, you know, how, how can I get involved? And we piloted the, um, the school's program at one school, which is the Gale School uh, in Merhevna Moor uh, down in Dundalk. And I think today they've probably, there's probably over 20 schools involved. Uh, Liam Bournes, an, an ex-Dundalk player, um, a League of Ireland winner with Bohemians. He, he runs all that now. Brilliant. Um, so reading, I kind of took into the Dundalk Democrats archives, mm-hmm. and um, so obviously Dundalk. I remember, I remember it happening. Uh, Dundalk had uh, financial problems back. Uh, I suppose it's coming at the end of um, the end of the downturn, and uh, it was around 2012. Uh, they were having huge financial problems. You you were working at the club at the time. Um, what was it like back then and getting involved with the Save Our, Save Our Club campaign and things like that? Yeah, I mean, I just to kind of start off to, like I've been obviously working as kit man for two years prior to that and then I, I was given the, the role of, um, of club promotions officer off the back of a, a viral um, a viral thing that we're going to talk about a little bit later, I think. Mm. But uh, I, I was given the role of club promotions officer, very, very honoured to get that role. Um it was something that I was I was very proud of. It just I think it was the right job for me. It just happened at the wrong time, you know. Yeah. Um, the the owner who had done a lot of great work at the club wasn't a football man, and he just he wanted out. And the the budget of the team was slashed significantly. Um, the late Sean McCaffrey, who's someone that was a big influence on my coaching career, um, had just taken over as manager, and he just wasn't able to get the attract the players that he wanted to get. Yes. The club or the, the team suffered on the field, and that had a knock-on effect. And it just wasn't. Um, as I say, it was just it was the right job for me. It just kind of happened at the wrong time. But after that, you know, I, I was let go two days after my brother got married up in Dublin. I was uh, I hadn't been paid in a couple of weeks and stuff, which I I did end up eventually getting paid. Which it, you know it, it was tough, and it's easy to kind of in those situations to just walk away mm. and be bitter and things, but. I think it was maybe a month after I got let go and it might not have even been that long and there was word got out that the players weren't going to be paid their wages which if that happens twice in a season I think the the club automatically goes into administration and you get deducted 10 points yeah so I I just kind of stood up with on Twitter one night with it with I think there was five or six other fans I was like we can't let this happen and we started the whole campaign of save our club uh, we got together and had a meeting, and we formed a we formed a committee very very quickly, like in the space of maybe forty eight hours, 
and we started running different fundraisers for the for the club then and I think we raised probably close to 20 grand over the space of maybe two months which thankfully that was able to cover some of the wages and I think that the owner at that point was he was nice enough that he said he'd, he'd match that you know Okay, that's very good. Uh, I'm just looking at the list of fundraisers that you ran. Uh, the club obviously had their lotto. Then you had um, a selection match, the Dundalk versus Tommy McConville selection match. Uh, you had the patrons game, the Friends of Dundalk. You had quiz nights. You ran the Project Oriel fundraiser, bagpacking, auctions, program sales. Um, you had your comedy night, raffles, so like those. A wide variety of different fundraisers um, organised. Must have been just just a huge amount of organisation to go into all of those. Um, there was so, so I think like save our club would have organised the the biggest thing for us. We we organised a lot of the one off events like the yeah. the Tommy McConville match, the um, the comedy night, and and different different quiz nights and things like that. But the biggest thing was, and, and this is the biggest takeaway that I got out of that time, I think it galvanised the supporters, you know, so a lot of those events were actually maybe not ran particularly by the committee. Yeah. Um, we, we supported them, it was people just coming on board saying, here, I, I want to I wanna organise a, a battle of the bands, you know, yes. I want to organise this this charity football match and stuff, and we just got in, in behind it and helped them, you know, we were, we were kind of helped for them, and then all that money then was all grouped into the one, you know. Yeah, and I suppose like it was great for a community to come together and do that. Like you know, to take ownership to say you know this is our club. If we don't do something soon, we're going to lose it, and you're going to have a town with with an empty stadium on the on the Carrick Road there. And uh, you know, you don't want that being a reminder every time you drive by it that you know we could have done something that didn't. So it's fantastic that the people of Dundalk came together to do that. Yeah, I think you know the biggest thing, and I was made obviously I was made chairman on the Save Our Club committee. And on the first night, I remember that the one thing I said is I didn't want us to become a club like Cork City two years before that, and Derry City had both gone out of business and came back under new names. Yes, um, I didn't want that to happen at Dundalk. I didn't want to have a Dundalk Town football or Dundalk United. You know, I wanted Dundalk FC. I I want to make sure that that never never happened. And that was the biggest thing for me is because. Um, that's the identity you know if you're starting over you might be the same club but there's always a difference there so that that was the biggest kind of driving factor for me is um to make sure that the supporters always always had this club um and it wasn't going to go away no matter how hard times got okay just to go back a little bit before that then um we kind of skipped forward but uh you were a kit man first. What was it like being uh, involved with the club uh, so close to the, the the first team and being involved as kit man? Yeah, I mean Going that was yeah that was that was unbelievable, Brian. That was you know um, <clears throat> I went in for a week. I was asked by Paul Johnson just after I, I came back from um, from America to go in and just help out for a week because the the manager just uh, his wife had just given birth to a baby, so it was the assistant manager in on his own. Mm. Wayne Hatswell, who's a very good friend of mine, um, and I ended up staying for two years on as kit man. It was just the, that experience was, was unbelievable, you know. Uh, and hats, hats, in fairness to him, he, he's been a really, really good help with my coaching career today. You know, me and him kind of formed a good friendship off the back of that. Probably that first week, just just helping him out, you know, and stuff. But going going to games, like I got, I've a Satanta Cup runner, runners up medal um, from two thousand and eleven getting to travel to Europe, like we went to Luxembourg, we went to Bulgaria, things like that there, you know, yeah. just just things that you don't get. And I think even as a young coach, I didn't probably appreciate at the time as much, but I, I learned so much from be, being involved with a professional team. Like they trained every morning. They were a, a professional in the truest yes. sense. 
you know, it was just uh, that experience was just just amazing. Yeah, and uh, the story uh, uh, that you told the uh, Democrats, you know, being an assistant manager for a game, that was there. I just could do not could do nothing but smile when I read it. Like you know, yeah, uh, it was. Uh, it's real. Yeah, there was, there was three games that year where, um, so, so as, as I said in the article, Martin Connolly was the head of youth development at the time and he would train goalkeepers on match days as well, but he would step in because Hats was, Hats was actually playing left back for the majority of that season. Mm. So Martin would, would be the assistant on match days, but there was three occasions. If Martin's listening, in, he, he must have talked about six holidays that year, but uh, <laughs> there, there, was three, there was three games During where the Martin... Season. Yeah. There was three games where Martin wasn't wasn't available, and I, I say I was assistant manager in those in those games in the league. I was just the right hand man. I would I would take the substitutions. You know, yes. I'd have to hand it to the forward official and stuff yeah. like that there, and be the soundboard for the gaffer. But the gaffer, if I wanted to answer him back, he'd tell me he'd tell me what's what. You know, exactly, he, he yeah. didn't want the opinion, but he wanted the kind of terms. Yeah, and and then the European one was obviously one that I I kind of hold special to me because. The terms from UEFA at the time was you have to have someone else named on the bench as a coach. Um, so I was named obviously as the assistant coach because Hats was Hats was playing. And funnily enough, around that time, I don't think any other player on the team had any coaching coach badges. Um, it was just myself, the physio, the doctor, and another kit man. Um, so I was the only one that had a coaching badge. So thankfully, my claim to fame is uh, is that I was assistant manager in the European game, and I think we have. I think as as the assistant manager, I think I've got two wins, two wins and a draw, so undefeated. <laughs> Brilliant! That that has to go on uh, the CV, you know. Just, just oh, it does. Sure Don't worry, it does. <laughs> Brilliant. Uh, right. Okay. So we'll go back. At, I suppose kind of post twenty twelve. Um, just uh, just getting back to like you know uh, the fundraising that was done mm-hmm. and uh, you know. Uh, the people of Dundalk and yourselves as, as a committee taking action. Do you think that was the kind of turning point for the club and may have led them to the success that they've had in recent years? Um, or may have helped? Yeah, I, I, I think it definitely helped. As I say, I, I didn't want us to, to go under. and I think, I, I don't want to kind of speak out of turn, but I think some people wanted to come in and, and be saviours of the club, you know, and stuff like that. But we, we ensured it wasn't going anywhere. But, I think just the goodwill that ended up coming towards the end of that season from the supporters um, definitely definitely helped. We ended up getting new owners off of the back of that who got Stephen Kenny down to take charge and yeah um, and the rest you know under the Kenny era is obviously is, is history you know like that what he's what he done in those six years six seven years he was at the club was just just phenomenal. Yeah, um, I remember your excitement uh, when. Uh, Dundalk, Dundalk won that first league after uh, 2012. Like you know, you had plenty of stuff up on Facebook at the time uh, as a fan for for your club to to win something and to be so close to it. What what was that like? Yeah, that that was unbelievable. I mean, <clears throat> so I I actually I was Stephen Kenny's kit man for the first three weeks he was at the club in 2013, and then I think the new ownership and things they they wanted to go their own direction and uh, and I was a little bit bitter about it you know I I didn't um I didn't stay obviously with the club uh I say I was a little bit bitter I don't think I was probably 100% right in that you know I, I do feel I could have probably been treated a little bit better when I was leaving but at the same time now that I've kind of grown a little bit older I I know that it's um 
I know hindsight's that, great, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it is. Uh, and I know that it probably wasn't an easy decision for them either. But um, 2013, I think Dundalk finished second that season. And, and it was probably the first half of that year. I wasn't in a good headspace. And I, I, as I say, I was a little bit bitter. But 2014, when, when we won the league that year, I, I think I must have attended almost every home game. But that um, that last game against Cork, a lot of the lads from home from Coothill obviously came up and watched it as well. Mm. That the last ten minutes when Brian Gartland scored that goal, I don't know what happened. It was last ten minutes. I I cried. You know, I literally it was one of, one of those moments. But it was, I think, it was a relief feeling because of what happened that two years previous during yeah. that save our club season and stuff like that. You know, I think it was just uh, from from my point of view, it was just as I say, it was, it was a big relief that that. Um, that that we managed to win it, you know, to go from that in, in the space of in the space of two years. Okay. Now uh, we look at the other side of uh, 2012. Now um, it was busy for other reasons. Um, so November uh, 2011, Ireland qualified for uh, Euro 2012, and uh, straight away there's uh, discussions, there's chats among friends and Cattell. Um Tell us about back to bid. Yeah. So um, so. I think it was the second leg against Estonia. Uh, once we got the first goal, I just started texting or tweet. I started tweeting at just ex-players, Clint Morrison, uh, John Aldridge. I said, you know, myself and the lads don't have any work at the minute, but we want to go to the Euros. Can you, can you back our bid to get to the Euros and stuff? And I tweeted, I think, the Daily Star. But then I, I just sent one to Today FM and... They, they contacted me it was the KC show that used to be on I think that's right KC's yeah. down with uh, Red FM Red FM in Cork now yeah but uh, about 10 o'clock at night I get this voice message and say Dean you're going to be on it. do you want to come on air I was like yeah no worries so I'm texting Keelan McCarney and I'm saying to him you know what am I going to say here <laughs> and uh, I thought it was going to be like a pre-recorded <clears throat> segment for today FM but KC right. obviously yeah, yes, he said, you know, we're was he on the night lad. show at the time? He was, he was, yeah. Um, so I, I ended up on that and I just kind of winged it as best I could. And I, I said, you know, we're just a group of lads, we don't have a job, we're, we're all on unemployment, but we want to go to the Euros, we want to see if anyone would back our bid to, uh, and, and like a lot of people kind of have to remember, like back then, we've come a long way from, from the recession and you know, high unemployment and things like that. And back then unemployment was quite high. If you had a good job, like you're, you're, you're lucky, you know? So, mm -hmm. uh, especially among the youth, you know, your, your 18 to 25 year olds, those, those, those quite a sizable proportion of those people who just didn't have jobs or could not get jobs coming out of college. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, so yeah, we, en we ended up on the KC show and then the next day we set up a Facebook page and I think within, within a day we had over a thousand likes. Um, we found, I think England were trying to get a World Cup bid or something like that and they had back to bid. So we we took photographs of Ant and Deck with back to bid scarves and things. But it ended up kind of just taking off from there and, and we ended up getting... Um, DB Sports tours and Windsor Motors actually provided us with the camper van and I messaged uh, I messaged a certain former CEO of the FEI who shall remain nameless these days he's not too popular at the minute but yeah. I asked him if he'd get us tickets that we would pay for and things like that there and to be fair he obliged I think there was I think there was eight people went on the, well seven went on the trip because yeah. I did I didn't actually end up going um, that's right. But uh, I think seven of the lads went, and there was six tickets for for the three three group games. 
uh, each, which which was great, you know. Yeah, like I remember, um, like I remember it all, and I remember uh, the hype, you know, and it was and yeah. everybody was talking about it, and uh, then the the idea of having a raffle. Uh, and the amount of stuff, the amount of memorabilia and different things that you gathered for that raffle and Don Smith's was, was just incredible, you know. Yeah. Uh, I didn't win anything out of it, but bought plenty <laughs> of bloody tickets. Um, <laughs> but uh, like you said, signed jerseys, you had signed boxing gloves, you had, yeah. you had a world of stuff. Yeah, I mean, we had um, two tickets to an Ireland friendly game with a chance to go in and meet the team after and stuff like that. You know, we just... It just came from probably being unemployed with a lot of time on our hands, you know, so so I just made the most of it as I could and um, emailed and, and begged and pleaded with whoever I could to just see see what we could get our hands on. But I think what, what was important at the time was we ended up giving, I think we kept half of the money from the, the raffle and we donated half That's of it right. to uh, Coot Hill Cancer. Hill Cancer care, yeah. Um, yeah. Because at the start, everyone said it was a great idea and it was a joke. Uh, you know, like it was good fun and stuff. But then as once we started getting a bit of traction with it, people, the begrudgers kind of came out and said, you know, we're giving you money for nothing. Um, so, so we kind of done it in a way that we could, we could do some good out of the back of it too. Yeah, no, it was good for us to do that, of course. Uh, and kind of speaking in that line, like, um, do you think something like that would work now? Uh, like would people support it like had Ireland got to say Euro 2020 or uh, you know uh, something similar um, it was probably unique to the time that it was as successful as it was yeah I think I think the timing is right do you know I think timing is everything and I think we just by doing it the night Ireland qualified the good spirits were up and stuff and I think as I say you just need you need to be right on the time and I think I kind of maybe it was because I had so much free time, but I had my finger on the pulse with it, you know, and I'd just done it before anybody else kind of thought of that idea. But I mean, the way yeah. kind of the whirlwind of the whole thing was crazy. Like we ended up on the Craig Doyle show on RTE two. I remember um, watching it, yeah. About a month, I think month, a month and a half before the hour was actually happened. You know, it was yeah. just it was mad. And you had the van for that as well. We did. We actually had to drive the van into the studio, studio. to do the the. Um, the pre-taped ads and stuff, you know, before the show started. It was, as I said, the whole experience was unbelievable. It's just unfortunate that the circumstances around when I was let go at Dundalk and not getting paid and stuff was, was the reason that I actually, for all the work that I'd done, I couldn't actually go on the trip myself, yeah. you know. But the lads got a good experience out of it and, and I suppose that's that's all that matters. Yeah, no, I remember meeting, I met Lona McKenna, our mutual friend, met Lona in... Uh, Poznan a couple of times, met him the first night because we flew out, and myself and my friends from college, we flew out for the first game, flew out the Friday evening on Ryanair, mental flight to say the least, and yeah. uh, landed in Poznan, got our lodgings and uh, went down to town, and the town that night was just, like the Poznan, Poznan was just filled, filled with Irish and yeah. uh, Croats and a few others. Uh, great weekend, uh, and like that, you're you're unfortunate to miss out. But uh, you know, I think uh, the work that you done prior to that was was did enable you know seven other guys to go and fair play to you for that. Mm-hmm. And that just reminds me, a couple of other things that you've chanced your arm at. Uh, I just remembered the letter to the White House. Yeah, that was that was very. Uh, I don't know if I was hungover or if I was still drunk when I sent that for him. Mm. Yeah, I sent. Um, Sent President Obama. I think I can't. I can't. I think Calvin might have beat Armagh. I think the yeah. I think the better. Game in Clonus, wasn't it? 
No, it was in Calvin. It was actually was in Breffney. It? Um, it was my annual annual Gaelic match that I go to every year. <laughs> uh, the, the one game of the year that I go to. And then um, off the back of that, then someone just mentioned the next day about the GA summit was happening in Fermanagh. That's and right. Yeah. We're going to play the, I think it was the quarterfinal or the semi-final of Ulster in Fermanagh. So I said, right, I'm going to send President Obama an email, screenshot it, course and sent it to one of the boys and the next thing it was up on joe.ie and, and bbc rang me for an interview and things like that and it just kind of they were they were good times brian they were and there was one more uh um if i have to put in an edit now because i stopped to remember this i don't mind but uh there was one more and i'd say you're you know it and you're just not saying it to me um, the joey barton one is it no yes it is the joey barton yeah. one and the coaching badges yeah yeah, so Joey Barton was doing his coaching badges in Northern Ireland and he um, he just sent a tweet. He had one of those Twitter question, question and answers. So I said, look, I said, we've got this team. Um, is there any chance you can come and do a session? He just said, yeah, if you'll have me, I'll do it. But he, he never uh, he never followed through. Never unfortunately. No. Unfortunately, yeah. Um, okay, so, yeah, we'll move on. Uh, you're now in yeah. Chicago. You've been yeah. there a little over four years. Is that right? Um, yeah, I'll actually be five years here in August. Brilliant. Uh, all's going well. Must be going well that you're you're there nearly five years now. Uh, so soccer brought you there, and I think uh, a good woman is keeping you there. Is it fair to say? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Emily, uh, I met Emily in 2017, and we got married last summer and stuff. And she's just brilliant. You know, she's she's great. I mean, we're stuck together for the last almost two months, and. She hasn't killed me yet, so great stuff. That's always yeah. a good sign. Yeah. Um. So you made the move to Chicago. How did that come about? Um. You were telling me a little bit off air about um, being recruited. Uh, can mm-hmm. you tell us a little bit more about how you got out there? Yeah. So I first came out in two thousand and nine when I was only twenty, and it was uh, it was a good experience. But I think I was just a little bit young and immature at the time, and decided against coming back. Um. And then when I left on Dock FC, I started working in a in a bookies in Hill which I hated. Uh, I wouldn't advise anybody that's listening in this don't ever work in the bookies. Uh, it's not, uh, it wasn't, I, I won't say I hated it. I, it was, uh, it, was it was an experience. It was a tough station. It, yeah, it was. It was tough kind of, it made my social life a little bit tougher and stuff like that in such yeah. a small town. But uh, mm. I went on holidays with, with a couple of lads to Tenerife and kind of after that I was like, you know, there's just more to life than, than, being stuck and not being happy in the job I was doing so I reached out to my former uh, to the company that I went through before Youth Elite Soccer and asked if they had any openings and, and I think in the space of two months it was kind of a little bit whirlwind I, I managed to get myself back out to the States coaching full time at, at the club that I'm currently director of coaching at Brilliant uh, so you're there now a couple of years and uh, you're in the director role now for a couple of years as well uh, you're, you're, you weren't there terribly long before you actually went for it and you were successful yeah so um, so I was kind of lucky you know that I was at the club in in August 2015 I joined and just just took on a role of coach but but I was working hard for, for two years and then when our director of coaching who's a girl from Dublin left in um I think she left in July 2017. I just kind of put me put my name forward and said that I'd be interested in the role, and and I was kind of thrust into it, which was um, learning very very much a learning on the job kind of experience. But over the last probably 12 months or so, I, I feel like I've kind of got nailed down, and the, and the program is going really well. 
Brilliant, good to hear. Now, uh, your own fitness has come on uh, in leaps and bounds over the last number of years. Uh, can you tell us how did you how did you get started in all of that? And uh, you do a lot of running now. You've done a lot of races. You do a lot of fundraising. Uh, where did it all start, or what what motivated you to to get into it all? Yeah, so I think I quit any kind of exercise around the age of eighteen when I stopped playing minor football. Um, yeah. And I didn't really didn't really pick up anything. I, I I think when I worked in the bookies, I used to go out walking every day before work. I'd go down like do maybe a two or three mile walk. Um, and then in two thousand and sixteen, I decided to just sign up for a five k out here in Chicago. And um, I I didn't do a terrible time, but after that, I kind of got the bug, you know. So so yeah. I joined the gym and I took up running and things like that. And it's just those couple of seconds after you cross the finish line, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's, you say you're never going to do it again, and then you're looking for the for the next race. But I signed yeah. up for a five miler then in, in uh, I think it was the end of March or the first week of April in 2017, which coincided with the passing of my uncle, um, who was also an avid runner back in Dundalk. And um, I I went ahead and ran the race anyway, and kind of ever since then that's just that's just kept me going, and uh, I I love it. You know, I love it. I think it's very, uh, very good for me physical health, but it's good for my mental health as well to get out for Absolutely. those long runs. You know, it's, uh, it's brilliant. As a, you know, people have said it to me, and I don't think they're wrong. It, it's been life changing. You know, me, me life's yeah. done a complete one eighty. You know. Um, can you tell us a bit about your uncle Andrew and the whole TikTok movement? Yeah, so Uncle Andrew, um, Uncle Andrew was, was a runner from Dundalk. He uh, he worked in the council, Loud County Council uh, offices in Dundalk as well. But he'd been running for for years before it became um, fashionable. Before it became fashionable, yeah. And he was um, he was, I think he he ran marathons and stuff. And in the build up to any the big race he'd do, you know, he'd be like TikTok 130 days or TikTok 129, you know, and he'd go like that probably. The same thing that I'm doing to annoy people nowadays, you know. Ah, but, uh, I think it's good. It's good, definitely. Yeah, but unfortunately, um, in March, March twenty seventh, um, two thousand and seventeen, he passed away. He committed suicide, and that kind of hit me hard for for probably about seven eight months. But I kept running through it, and I kind of since since then I, I've taken it over, and I've kind of I've unofficially taking over that TikTok mantra, you know, and I, I use that as best I can. And I wouldn't say that I run. Because, solely because of him but he's obviously there every every time I, I put on the shoes and I, and I get out brilliant. there brilliant fantastic um, so you're running regularly now uh, you're in fantastic shape without mm -hmm. a doubt if you look at uh, like even today I scrolled through your Instagram and uh, just to see you know some of, you've done your before and after photos uh, several times and it's just amazing to see uh, the progress that you've made so it's it, Obviously, running is a huge part of that, but uh, your diet has probably improved uh, quite significantly as well. Yes, I, I would say slightly. Maybe not so much recently with lockdown yeah. or whatever. But, uh, uh, believe it or not, I think I'm one of the only people that's lost a bit of weight during this lockdown. But um, oh, no, it's. Uh, I, I actually, believe it or not, I actually still eat sweets, still eat crisps every day. Um, I just moderate what I'm eating. You know, I. Good. I'm not a big believer in changing everything because if you can't have something that you like, then when you Something do eat it, yeah, when you when you do eat it, you're gonna kind of overindulge. So, like little things, people back home probably laugh at the fact that I'm always going on about my love of mini eggs. But the reason why I enjoy getting them out here is that I can take ten of those 
every evening you know what i mean i i can kind of portion out what i have as opposed yeah. to if i get if i get a bar of chocolate i'm gonna eat the full bar i'm not gonna put any of it away um but yeah i mean i just i to be honest i don't drink as much as i used to uh, i never classify myself as an alcoholic or anything like that but i just i i rarely drink because i feel now if i if i have a drink i can't go out and run the next day and i i know which one these days that i prefer to do of course fantastic yeah no um yeah, no, even since I've started the 31 K for 31 days, uh, drink has been down to a couple of drinks at the weekend. Uh, if that didn't, had one drink last weekend, I think. Um, and like that this evening, I won't have one and probably won't have one tomorrow night uh, because I'm out early for the next two mornings for my for my next two cycles. And uh, the next two cycles is actually be a good bit over 31 K, or at least I'm hoping to get a couple of long cycles in as well. But uh, yeah, and I think, um, you know, as you, you get older as well, sure, we're both bloody in our 30s now, unfortunately. Yeah. And uh, yeah, the body's just not able for it anymore. You know, you're not able for it no. the next day. And you're, if you have a heavy night at all, your head's not great. I know my head's not great the next day after a heavy session, you know. So, yeah. and I want to get away from that now myself to make, put a bit of distance distance uh, between it you know. I think it's probably as well, you know, the fact that the two of us have lost a few pounds as well, we can't handle as much. and. If any if any of the lads are listening to this, they'll probably say that I could never handle the bit. So <laughs> imagine what I'm like now. So uh no, I think I'm just better off without it or better off just just special occasions, you know. Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately I'm just not as light as you I've I've a bit of catching <laughs> up to do. Uh were you back to hundred and fifty nine pounds during the week? Did I, I was, yeah. Yeah. I think when I so I started losing weight properly at the end of two thousand and seventeen. Um, and I think at my heaviest I was about two hundred and thirteen pounds, and I'm down to down to one fifty nine now. So it's incredible. It's been, it's, been, it's been a long slog, and I think since I I done the Chicago Marathon last year, and I kind of put on, I say I put on a bit. I only gained five pounds, which probably wasn't a bad thing. But I've no. finally gotten myself back down to to where I want to be for for training again this year. Brilliant. And like you know, like I know from myself from when I did the marathon in twenty sixteen in Dublin. You know, having the weight off just makes it so much easier on your long runs. Your recovery's faster. You can run faster. You're, yeah. you're just just much better in every aspect, you know. So, uh, yeah, definitely I'll be uh, chipping away at the pounds again. I'm not too bad at the moment, but definitely not where I'd like to be. So, we'll just put mm-hmm. it that way. Um, right, so we'll move on again. Uh, so, you've done Chicago Martin. What other kind of big race have you done? You've done a couple of half Martins. In fact, you did a half Martin on the 14th of April as well in the middle of lockdown. And uh, you're yeah. raising a few quid as well. So, uh, fair play to you for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so um, so I've done... I started off doing 5Ks. And then, as I say, i done that five-miler um, <clears throat> in 2017, which that's the race that I probably enjoy the most. I do it, do it every year. Um, and then I, I started off, I think that, that same year that Uncle Andrew passed away, I done a half marathon that year. Um, that was when I was probably around my heaviest, believe it or not, in training for the, for the half marathon. I actually gained weight that year. Learned from my mistakes. The following year, I done the half marathon again. I shaved 45 minutes off my time. Um, and then last year, I attempted the marathon, which was probably one of the toughest things I've ever done. Yeah. Um, and hopefully, uh, as we said off air, I'm not sure if it's going to go ahead this year, but if it does, I'm going to do it again. I think even if it doesn't go ahead, I'm still going to run. Do something. The, I'm still going to do the distance. Yeah. Yeah. Good man. yeah. And do you train your own? Do you train with other people? Part of a group. Um, so I train mostly on my own. Myself and Emily will go out and we'll we'll have a run. She she'll run 
the same like the same day as me, but we'll run together usually on my recovery runs. Okay. Um, the, the two of us will do that because I, I like to do that at a slower pace and stuff Lovely. like that. So we'll run together. But during during the long runs, I do it on my own. As, as I say, I I kind of prefer it. I, I tied with the idea of joining running groups and things, but I actually get a lot of enjoyment of just kind of being lost in my own thoughts. Your own headspace. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay, yeah, definitely brilliant. Uh, so what's been the most enjoyable race for you? Has it been that 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 uh, five-miler? Yeah, the five-miler, the, yeah. the Shamrock Shuffle, it's called in Chicago. So that's kind of like the start of the running season out here. Um, <clears throat> and it's kind of got a special meaning because it was so, it's always so close to Uncle Andrew's anniversary. anniversary and things. Okay. Um, it's, it's just a good race. I mean, there's 25,000 people ran it last year. Um, it's it's pretty much the same a similar route to the marathon. You you finish the exact same way that the marathon finishes and stuff. So it's just it's it's a good race. It's a good good distance as well. I like five miles. Okay, so like we've just alluded to it there. Uh, you you have done some fundraising over the last while as well. Uh, can you tell us who you fundraised for? Um, yeah, so I fundraised. <clears throat> do you want it all the way back, or do you want just uh, yeah. the recent? Yeah. All the way back. So I've done fundraisers for the Cudhill Cancer Community. Um, I've done fundraisers for SOSAD. Um, I've fundraised for the Irish Cancer Society. Um, and then more recently out here, I've done fundraisers for the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention, um, which is what I ran uh, the marathon last year as part of their charity runners and I'm doing the same yeah. again this year which thankfully six months early I've actually hit my target already for that so it's fantastic congratulations yeah. it's brilliant thank you uh, yeah no uh, like, I, I always get the message every, every time you're doing fundraiser and it's always good to throw you a few could especially for suicide prevention and a time like this when you know it has been more difficult for people especially in isolation uh Always good to throw these charities a few quid. Um, so, how have you been coping with COVID nineteen and uh, not being able to coach? And that you're you're saying to me off air that you're you're actually still quite busy on the admin st- side of uh, of work. Yeah, it's been. Um, it's obviously this is. I've been coaching for fifteen years now, uh, and this is probably one of the longest stints I've had without being out on the on the pitch. Um, so it's not been easy, but. As as we said off air, I'm busy with a lot of admin stuff um, that we're doing, trying to prepare for for August of this year, August September for the new season. If if it even goes ahead, um, I've also been doing with the teams that I coach. We do a lot of Zoom calls, and similar to what we're doing now, I do video casts every every week for the for the players at our club to try and engage them. Um, <clears throat> I was lucky enough a couple of weeks ago, I managed to. Uh, to have a quick chat with Matt Holland. Um, yeah. He obviously played for Ireland, yeah, and scored that goal against Cameroon in the World Cup. Yes. Uh, and, and then apart from that, I, I don't read as much as I like, so I'm trying to kind of uh, get into reading a little bit more. So I've gotten through a couple of books as well. Brilliant. What kind of books are you reading or what tickles your fancy? Uh, I'm a big, big fan of autobiographies and things like that, like sports autobiographies. And, yeah, sports autobiographies. Um, Brilliant. At the minute, I'm reading um, Phil Jackson, who used to coach the Chicago Bulls and the LA Lakers. So I'm reading his book, Eleven Rings, which is very, very good. Uh, I think uh, if anybody's listening to this that's into coaching and things, just uh, I'm only maybe five, six chapters in. It's brilliant. It's really, really good. Uh, he comes across as a fantastic character in uh, The Last Dance. I've been watching it recently. Um, yeah. So I kind of restrict myself to only watching that <coughs> when I'm pedaling in the living room. You know, so when, when I'm on the bike in the living room, I'll watch it then. 
won't sit down to watch it. So it's kind of like my reward for actually getting up and uh, doing a bit of cycling, like, you know? Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, uh, it's, it's a fantastic documentary. I've been really enjoying it. Uh, any other Netflix, uh, any Netflix recommendations or any TV programs you've been watching? Um, so we've been watching, we've actually been catching up. For someone that doesn't eat much anymore, we've been watching all the, the repeats of Man V Food lately. <laughs> yeah. that's, that's, that's been this week, uh, so it's making me hungry. But uh, I think um, the, the new season of Ozark, we watched that recently, is, it's very good. Uh, and then obviously everybody back home in Ireland's talking about normal people. I think we binged that in a couple of days. Yeah. It's, it's, it's brilliant. But it is, yeah. if, if anybody hasn't it. watched that, um, that last dance documentary, I, w- I would recommend that. That's just, it's fascinating. Stuff. It is. Yeah. Yeah. No, and like that. It's, it's uh, biographical as well. So it's, it happened. It's history. It's all real. It's, it's very, very good. Yeah. Um, yeah. Normal people have watched the first two episodes of the catch up on this. And then Ozark, I watched the first three episodes of Ozark. Now when I watched, it probably wasn't, the best time to watch it i watched it the first week of january after coming back out here after christmas last year you know so i was like this is too depressing can't watch this anymore you know yeah but i uh, know i did say i would come back to it so yeah that might be one to pick up now soon enough um i've been watching uh something called fauda okay it's uh about the israeli palestinian conflict uh it's okay. drama but uh, it's quite good um again you'd want your glasses out it's uh you have to read the subtitles it's okay. a bit like uh, it's a bit like narcos and a few of those kind of things. You have to read it rather than watch it nearly, but it's good. I enjoy it. Now uh, we're going to move on to the quick fire round. Yeah, all the hard questions are over. Uh, right, tea or coffee? Tea. Lines or berries? Berries. Good stuff. Um, Tato or King? Tato. Uh, Pepsi or Coke? Coke. Uh, chips or crisps? Chips. Very good. Uh, rain or snow? Rain. I can't hack the snow out here. <laughs> yeah, you get a lot of it, yeah? We do. Uh, this year wasn't too bad, but last year we had a polar vortex for uh, for a week where we, we weren't actually allowed to leave the house. So it's uh, it's great. It's great when you get it the first day, but after that, it's a, it's a pain. That, that's a proper lockdown there, like, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Come here. Um, I had another question for someone else, and just after remembering. Uh, you're a Sunderland fan? Or where I I am not. I I would follow. Um, I'd follow Sunderland ever since the days when Roy Keane took over. Um, yes. took over them, and I kind of followed them. Followed them since then. Yeah. Big bad. That's John. actually one. Uh, big bad John O'Shea. Right. Um, that's actually one. One other thing. If people haven't watched it yet, the Sunderland Till I Die on yes. Netflix is yeah. is brilliant. It's, yeah, I've watched both class. seasons. Binge both of them. They're fantastic. Um, very good. Now, um. Three people dead or alive that you'd invite for dinner that you'd like to have dinner with? Uh, Roy Keane, my wife, she's not here, but she, she liked that if she listens in, and um, The Rock. Nice. What would you what would be your starter, main course, and dessert? Oh, that's a good question, Brian. Probably chick, chicken wings would be the starter, um, main course would be pizza, and then just ice cream for dessert. There you go. Nice and easy. Nice and easy, yeah. Nice yeah. one. Um, okay, and then three things you'd bring to a desert island. Chicken fillet roll. Um, I don't know what, what else. You've got me on the spot now. Chicken fillet roll. Um, armbands because I can't swim. <laughs> and a, a harpoon because we watched Castaway lately. So 
Yeah. I don't like fish, but I suppose I'll probably have to eat. If you're stuck, too. like, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Good stuff. Yeah. It's always, I've, I've been asked that question a couple of times. You're like, three things just, you wouldn't survive with just three things, I don't think. No. Kind of, you'd, be, you'd be in trouble. Uh, Dean, that's pretty much the end of all the questions that I have for you. It's been fascinating talking to you. Um, you're doing fantastically well out in Chicago, and uh, it's great to chat to you. And uh, we shouldn't sit, leave it so long until the next time. Yeah, no, um, Brian, I, I appreciate you getting me on the chat. I think it was a it was a good chat and stuff. But I just want to say fair play to you for all you're doing and, and the charity work you're doing. I think um, it's it's. It's nice to get out and get active all the time, but when you have that extra little bit of motivation when people are giving money to you, you kind of feel like you have to do it then and it kind mm-hmm. of pushes you those days. I'm sure doing 31 for 31, there's a couple of days where you don't uh, necessarily you don't want, to. want to do it, but it'll get you through it. And I think it's just it's a good thing that you're doing, so so keep it up. Yeah, no, thankfully now it hasn't been too bad. There has been just one one bad day. I kind of left it too late to, to get on the bike a couple of days ago and I was just quite tired. So I was like, I really don't want to do this, but I have to, you know. So uh, I just like, right, get it done. That was it. Get up, get it done, and uh, go to bed. And that was it. So uh, thankfully now, uh, yeah, like I think once you have enough sleep and recovery and you're eating all right, like you're, it tends to be going all right. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm quite happy with how it's going. So another 11 days, 11 days and I'll be done. Good stuff. Good stuff. Pick up something after that. Dean, yeah. thanks, man. No worries, thanks, Brian. So just to finish, I just want to thank Dean for coming on the podcast with me. Uh, it's coming to the end of my time of doing uh, 31K for 31 days. So if you've liked what I've been doing, if you've liked the podcast, please let me know. Uh, the podcast is something that I may continue into the, into the future, but uh, it all depends on you know how many people have been listening and uh, the feedback that I've been getting. So uh, if you like it, let me know. If you don't like it, maybe let me know too. <laughs> But uh, until next time, see you later.